Readings from uh, Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, and going right through to the end. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else, no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with all the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in, and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given on those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, 
In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Thanks, John, very much. And good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today. Uh, I normally begin by praying, but what I'd like to do this morning is just give us all a little bit of quiet where you can pray in your own heart. Uh, Just ask God to speak to you this morning, uh, and then I'll begin in a few moments. Let's just take a moment of quiet together. Father, would you speak this morning to all who are here who want to listen? Amen. I want you to imagine um, up here... There's a box. I've done this once before and I asked you to imagine what was in it. Here we go. There's a big box, okay? And we're going to label this box stuff. Stuff. Um, You and I all have stuff in our lives, stuff going on in our lives. Uh, Much of that stuff is difficult. So here's the box. I'm going to tell you about some of the stuff that I've been working through this week, some of the conversations I've had with people in the church, uh, some of the things that I'm aware is going on in your lives. I'm going to chuck that into my box called stuff. And as I'm doing that, you can throw your own things in, okay? And then we're going to collect this box up and it will be completely full of stuff. Here's a few examples. I've spoken to people this week in the church who are ill and are really struggling with being ill. Really trying to be godly and God-honoring, but struggling with being ill and being ill for many, many years and it doesn't seem to be going away. And it's tough. I've spoken to young people in this church who are getting bullied at school who are finding it very hard to tell people that they go to church. I've spoken to someone this week who's very lonely. And it's not a person who's on their own or unmarried, it's a person in a marriage. Sometimes you can be very lonely in a marriage. I've spoken to someone who's suffering with addiction and longs to be free from it, and it's causing them great pain. I'm aware of a mum who just feels overwhelmed with life, just so much going on, and constant demands, there never seems to be any time off. And a husband who is so busy with work and feels that demands are just crushing them all the time, and there's no space to breathe. I spoke to one person who's feeling a really heavy burden uh, for their family who don't know Christ, and they've been praying for years and years and years, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. I know of one person who's suffering with financial strain and it's really hard just to pay the bills every week. That's this church in a wealthy, relatively wealthy place where we all live nice lives. This is that, this is this church and this is just the conversations I've had with a few of you this week. And I could stick my own stuff in the stuff box and you could all chuck loads of stuff in the stuff box and it'd be absolutely enormous. And yet that's just life, isn't it? We all live every day with stuff going on. And much of the stuff is really, really tough. 
But if you're a Christian and you have your stuff box, some of the things that can really help is left and right of your stuff box to have these kind of um, solid concrete posts in the ground, something solid which you can cling to. So as you get stuck in the box of all this stuff that's messing with your head, messing with your heart, is exhausting, there's something that's solid either side of you that can keep you going. Last week, if you remember, this was a sort of summary of what we looked at. In many ways, these are like these concrete pillars. They give us something solid to focus on and to thank God for amongst all of the stuff that is going on that's very tough. Encouraging us to be a church of one heart and one mind. Because if we do, we'll be a church that shares together. We'll be a church that works together. We'll be a church in which the grace of God is evident. And what you get in this part of Acts chapter 5 is it's a chapter full of stuff. There's loads going on and for the apostles it's really tough stuff. They're being persecuted, they're being hounded, they're being accused of things that they haven't done. And things they have done that the religious leaders didn't like. Their stuff box is really, really full. And we're going to work through this little chapter together. And you're going to see four things that are examples of what the apostles went through in terms of stuff. But amazingly, for each of these four things... There's also an amazing encouragement that God gives them. And I hope what it will do is for us, as we think about our stuff box, this is the the things that we're dealing with every day that are tough. But we'll match each of them with an encouragement from God that says, you can do this, you can keep going because God is with you. So I've got one aim this morning, and only one aim. Don't worry about remembering all of the four things in their pairs. Don't think, oh, I've got an eight-point sermon. There are eight things, but they come in four pairs. The thing I want you to take away is, how can you be encouraged by something in this chapter? That's the only aim today, to be encouraged. Here's the first thing you see. This is the first thing that gets thrown into the stuff box. You see in this passage that gospel work brings opposition. Have a look down at verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now the Sadducees were a kind of sect within Judaism. Uh, They were quite influential in their day. And one of the big things they didn't believe in was the resurrection. And what have we seen in chapters 1 through to the first half of chapter 5? What is it that the apostles keep on proclaiming? Exactly. So you can see why they're really angry. And it says here they're jealous. Now think of your life if you're a Christian. Is the world jealous of you? I suspect not. Most of my friends who know that I'm a Christian and they're not feel sorry for me. One day I'll snap out of this Christian thing and I'll become enlightened. I'm not mocking them, I'm just saying that's the way that they feel about me. But if you see jealousy here and you say, well most people in the world aren't jealous of me, they're not jealous of this church, they think it's pretty weak and pretty pathetic that many of us are Christians. You don't just read this then and see the word jealousy and go, just because people aren't jealous of me, this doesn't apply. The jealousy is not the issue. The issue here is the opposition that God's apostles are facing. If you hold a Christian worldview today, you will face opposition, particularly if your Christian worldview is shared in the public space. That's what the big debate over recent years has been. Um, There's been a massive undermining of the authority of Scripture. We can't trust God anymore. I think over the next two or three years, the big issue that's already begun, that's going to really rear its head, is the whole kind of pro-life stuff. Engaging with abortion and euthanasia and genetic selection, all this sort of stuff that's happening all all the more these days. Even closer to home, last year, Carol's in the square. Nathan was speaking. He was helping us to engage with Christmas, 
Think about the joy of what Christmas is. And there was one man who was there who walked off and said to someone else in our church, I came here to sing carols, not to be preached at by the Baptists. And it's a great tragedy because Nathan wasn't preaching at anyone. He was just sharing with joy what Christmas is about. They'd come to sing carols. I've quit before. If you take Christ out of Christmas, what have you got left? M and S. And actually, this maybe is a man who, for whom Christmas is just all about M and S. Didn't want Christ in it. Sing some carols, that's a nice thing to do. But anyone tell me what the carols are about? No, thank you. So there was persecution just here, not very long ago. But actually, all these things don't matter. The key thing is, the devil will do every single thing he can to discourage us as Christians. So there's something that goes gets stuck in our stuff box. Maybe you can relate to that in your own way. Stick it in the box. This is what the apostles were struggling. But look at the massive encouragement. God is greater than any opposition you could face. Have a look at 18 and 19. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. I love reading that because it's so kind of matter of fact, isn't it? Here are these apostles who are preaching. What are we going to do? We're going to arrest them. We're going to put them in jail. We're going to lock the door. They can't do anything. God just says, I'll just let them out then. Is that the best you've got? You're going to lock away my apostles? They're trying to lock away people who are on a mission for the God of the universe. Do you think a lock and some iron bars is going to stop him? The Lord opened the door of the jail. He didn't have any keys. He didn't need keys. He's the Lord of the universe. And out they come. Think of the Apostle Paul later on in the book of Acts. He's in jail, isn't he? And people are rubbing their hands, going, oh, we got the great apostle. He's in jail. Now he can't write his letters. He can't preach to anyone. What does Paul do? He starts preaching to the people in the prison. And some of them come to faith. You can't contain the gospel. And you can't contain a gospel minister if they're being faithful. So you take your stuff box, whatever it is that you're finding difficult in life, whether it's a spiritual thing, a physical thing, an emotional thing, be encouraged that God is greater than any opposition you will ever face. There's something amazing in this chapter for us. Last week I said one of the key things for all of us in the church, do you remember I said, it doesn't matter where you are on a spiritual spectrum, from a baby Christian to a spiritual giant, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're all growing. And the reason it matters that we're all growing as Christians is because all of us at this church need to have a growing view of God. A bigger and bigger and bigger view of who he is. And we've all got space in that area to grow. I'm really excited about this church. You look here, you look at all the gifts we've got here. The money that we have, the resources we have. This church is brilliant. This church could be even better because God has big plans for this place. Why can't there be revival in Long Crendon? Why can't there be? Where hundreds of people come and confess the name of Jesus Christ. Why not? It's happened in far more insignificant places than Long Crendon before. Why can't we train loads of people for gospel work over the years at the pace that's right for us and send them out into God's mission field? Why not? Yes, we're a village church, but the village bit isn't what we're about. The God bit is what we're about. And God can do incredible things through very weak people. So be encouraged. 
I'll tell you a story. When I was um, a little bit younger, I remember a time when I was in a very difficult... Um, I had a very difficult relationship I was working through. It was causing real pain. I remember um, I went to God once in prayer and I was really angry. And I remember shouting at God really aggressively. And up to that point, I never really felt I could do that because I thought that I had to pray neat, pious, quiet prayers because that was the right thing to do. Now, there's a right awe and reverence before the Almighty God. Of course there is. But if in my heart I'm ranting and I need to let it out, God is pleased with that because he looks at my heart and goes, don't pray a neat little prayer if you're not feeling neat and little. If you're hurting, shout at me. I'd never done it before, but I somehow felt liberated to do it. And I was out by a lake in the middle of nowhere, and I literally screamed at God. If there was anyone in in the area, they would have been very freaked out. But I screamed at him, because I was hurting. But something amazing happened that day. It was like the illustration I gave at Jackie's testimony, where I wrapped her up in a giant duvet. I just felt the massive arms of God just do this around me. And I was ranting and ranting like a little baby who comes to a father and is banging on his chest. And God was just holding me, saying, keep ranting, because you'll run out of energy soon. And I'll still be here and I'll be holding you. And that day for me was a day where God got bigger. Because I realised that he was bigger than any problem I could face. So be encouraged. Gospel work will always bring opposition. There'll always be stuff in your stuff box. But God is greater than that opposition. Let's have a look at the third thing. Gospel work requires obedience. Do you see in verse 18 and 19? Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people about this new life. Now just remember where they've just been. They've just been put in prison. They've just been released from prison. And then God says to them, go back to the temple courts. The temple courts is like standing on Oxford Street in London or going to the square in Long Crendon. The most public place. Go there where they've just arrested you. Go back there and tell people about me. Now how do you think if you were there, you would have felt? I'd have been out of the door, terrified. It's like being fed to the lions. If someone ever says to you, being a Christian is easy, they're probably not telling the truth. It's not easy. And telling the people about Jesus is not easy. Uh, it's not easy because in this day and age, it seems increasingly difficult to connect with people. Do you ever find that? I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I can articulate myself, but just connecting and getting over the pain line and having someone who wants to talk about the Christian faith, that's my challenge. It's hard. And then when we do start sharing our faith, sometimes we just feel there's such tiny gains. So few people are changing. So few people are coming to know Jesus. Why don't I just give up? God always says to us, go. And so often we just go, no. It came up in in the story of Jonah, didn't it? When Wellesley was preaching. God says, go, we say no. But we learn here that gospel work requires obedience. I wonder for you in your setting, with all the stuff in your life, what would it look like for you to be obedient to God? Obedience is difficult. So we stick that in our little stuff box. We feel overwhelmed in life. But have a look at the great encouragement that follows. God has given us a life-changing message. Tell the people about this new life. If you go forward to uh, chapter 9 in the book of Acts, the Christians there are described as a kind of sect called the way. There's evidence from that time that the Christians were also called in other places the life. 
And do you remember Peter in chapter 3 verse 15 who said, you killed the author of life. Surrounding these Christians and all they were doing was this whole big theme and reality of life. When you're sharing your faith with someone, you're not just sharing information with them. You're not just sharing a means by which they can be rescued so they can be forgiven, though that's always true. You're sharing with them life. You're sharing with them the most incredible news that is utterly life-changing. When I get discouraged in ministry, and it can happen, it can happen quite a lot, I go to my filing cabinet in my study and I bring out this file. Do you know what's in here? It's all the testimonies of the people who've been baptised in this church. And I read of Jackie's testimony and Ollie's testimony and Matt's testimony and Genevieve's testimony and Steve's testimony and other testimonies. I just read them. And what comes off these pages? Here are people whose lives have been changed. They're not people who've just come and been dunked in a pool and got up the front and go, I want to tell you about Jesus. They're people whose lives have been changed. So they've testified about something miraculous that's happened in their life. When we remember that the Christian message is not just a message about nice things, but is a message of life. How does that then encourage us in obedience? Because yes, gospel work requires obedience. Yes, obedience is tough. But when I remember what it is that I'm sharing, life. It kind of doesn't matter how hard it gets, does it? Because God is with us and he's given us this most amazing message. So there's two things in our stuff box, two incredible encouragements as well. Here's the third one, the third pair. Gospel work is all about proclaiming Jesus. It might seem obvious, but let me just explain something. Have a look at verse 30 and 31 and 2. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his right hand as prince. So the first thing you learn here about who this person Jesus is, is that he is the ruler. To be raised to the right hand of God is to be in the place of ruling. To be raised from the dead, resurrection is all about new life. So we learn Jesus isn't just a man, Jesus is ruler. That's what the apostles are proclaiming. He's Lord. But he's not just ruler, he's also rescuer. God exalted him, verse 31, to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. So when I testify to my faith, I'm not just speaking of a God who has rescued me, who's forgiven me. I'm also speaking of a God who rules my life, who's my Lord. And the really significant thing is that there's power in the name of Jesus. That's where power is. You go back to chapter 3. Let me just read a verse to you. Back in chapter 3, you'll have heard this. This is what the religious leaders hated. It was the name of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name And the faith that comes through him, that he has given this complete healing to him. And all of you can see it. Peter's not just talking about God. He's not talking about spirituality. He's talking about Jesus. And that is where there is power. And that is who we're to proclaim. 
And why is that there in white? Why is it one of the things we're going to put in our stuff box? Because you and I know that speaking of Jesus in our culture is tough. I can talk about God. That's much easier. I talk about Jesus. That's tat challenging. But that goes into our stuff box and look at the encouragement that comes with it. God will help us to persevere, whatever the cost. Verse 28. The religious leader said, we gave you strict instructions and teach in his name. But you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Isn't that an interesting little phrase, this man's blood? These religious leaders are so far from knowing Jesus, they can't even mention his name. He's just this man. In contrast to the apostles who speak his name. This is a, just this month's uh, Evangelical Now newspaper, Christian newspaper. This is the world in brief. Just a few examples of people for whom being obedient and proclaiming the name of Jesus has really cost them. Uh, North Korea. If a Christian has been discovered, they are placed in detention camps where they may be killed, enslaved, raped or undergo other forms of torture. There are people in the world for whom this is the cost of saying, I believe in Jesus. Most of us here have no understanding of what that means. To go through what some people go through. Uganda, there was a wife who was beaten by her husband because she wanted to go to church. In India, there was a festival last week and the Gideons, who hand out Bibles, hired at a table at the festival. They were handing them out to people in different languages. The tables got overturned, they were beaten and they were chased out of the city. In Pakistan, there was a 14-year-old Christian boy who was murdered and his body was left hanging in a tree because he tried to tell his parents about his faith. That's the sad reality of living in such a broken world where people are so unbelievably opposed to Jesus Christ. Gospel work is about proclaiming his name and some people lose their life for doing it. But we read in these verses that God will help us to persevere, whatever the cost. Do you see how the apostles respond in verse 29? We must obey God rather than human beings. And if you're ever in a situation, perhaps you're not going to be hung and killed for your faith, perhaps you're not going to experience something as extreme as those experiences I've just shared. But if you experience any kind of opposition for your faith, I want to encourage you, you're not alone The apostles were not alone. God was with them. And whatever we go through in our life, God is always with us in it. Always. If we reach out and put our trust in him. So three challenges that go into our stuff box. Three massive encouragements. Here's the last little pair. Do you see in verse 40, gospel work can get really tough. His speech persuaded them. Then the religious leaders called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I think sometimes we read that kind of had them flogged as kind of, oh, they just got a slap on the wrist. If you were flogged in those days, it was three long strips of cowhide and you were flogged by Jewish law 39 times. Twice on your back, once on your front. And then it carried on until the 39 lashes had been delivered. It was brutal. Some people died from the 39 lashes. So when you read here that they were flogged, it just encourages us that it can get very tough. Perhaps for you, your reputation at work will always be lower because you're a Christian. Not because you're not being godly, but because people hate you. 
Some people experience that. Some people who are Christians never ever receive a promotion because their boss has it in for Christians. Some families are disowned. Some people are disowned by their families because they go to church. Sometimes it can be really tough and it can really, really cost us to be Christians. But, and here's the last encouragement which we'll end on. God will always, always make it worth it. Have a look at verse 42. Day after day. You read that and you see a kind of God-given perseverance to these apostles. Day after day, despite all that they've gone through. Day after day, in the temple courts, a public place, and from house to house, private places. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't it the most amazing picture of steadfastness? And they didn't do it because they were super strong. They did it because they had a super God. And then notice Gamaliel. He's this Pharisee, this religious leader. You know, you'll read in Acts chapter 22, he was the one who tutored the Apostle Paul. Gamaliel is there, he's wise, and he says to these Jewish leaders, be very careful if you try and arrest these men again. If you try and stop them speaking in the name of Jesus. And why does he say be careful? This verse is incredible. Verse 39. If what they're doing is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. I wonder with the stuff in your stuff box whether you are trying to deal with it all yourself. Because I've got a load of stuff in the stuff box and I try to do that all the time. But what we all need to do together is to get into our stuff box together with all the mess and the difficulties of life but know that God is in that box with us in all of that mess. And he'll always help us with whatever we're dealing with. See, there are the four challenges on the screen. And they're very real challenges. And although they may not directly apply to you in your life, you'll have challenges that are similar. And as you go away, you'll better think about what they are. But we're not going to end on the challenges. We're going to end on the encouragements. Because these things are real. And these things can be real for every one of us. God is greater than any opposition will ever face. He's given us a life-changing message. He is the one who will help us to persevere, whatever the cost. And God will promises to always, always make it worth it. You know that little phrase, if God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe just this morning, we've all grown a little bit more in depth of understanding what that really means. Because he is with us. And so whatever stuff is thrown at you, God is always going to be bigger. May we all be really encouraged this morning as we go on serving the Christ faithfully in the strength that he gives us. Amen. Can I encourage you, if you are feeling overwhelmed by something, don't just leave on your own. Talk to someone, um, take a quiet space in the pastor's office and pray with someone. Let's really encourage each other this morning off the back of all that we've heard together. And can I encourage you as well, do take away those um, ministry uh, gift cards. Have a think and a pray this week about how you want to serve. And then bring them back next week and we'll tell you a bit more about that next time. Let me end with some real words of encouragement. Familiar words, I'm sure. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing nor death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor future, nor the powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us?